people <clears throat> last week. And so I had a great time out there. You guys remember Bill Greenman when he came here last fall, the Supernatural Circus guy? Well, before I get to my point, I just got to tell you this story about him. I found it was absolutely amazing. So I guess one time he was uh, doing the circus. You know, those circus people, they don't wear like normal outfits. You know, they're not like wearing jeans and like a flannel. You know, they always got like some crazy outfit on. So he had on like some white sequin jumpsuit. And then he had like a red silk shirt underneath, which is like normal for, you know, like circus people. But, and so he had this red silk shirt on it, but he didn't know um, his zipper was down and the red silk thing was coming out the white zipper like the whole time. So he's out, he does this whole show and he does the gospel presentation at the end with the red thing at the end. That was the story right there. And so I just, I just thought that was amazing. I, don't, I think everyone has those kind of stories, don't they? Where it just reminds you of your humanity, you know, you begin to think, hey, you know. I remember I was, uh, I, I don't know, we were about 10 or 11, we lived in Granville, Ohio, and I had taken swim lessons, but I wasn't on the swim team, and we were, I lived in this neighborhood, and they had a neighborhood pool, and, the, uh, and so, you know, we, everyone got to swim in the neighborhood, and like once a year, they would do like the neighborhood Olympics, and so somehow uh, I was in the swimming event, and so I didn't know how to like do the breathing stroke thing, you know, and so uh, for my age group, we just had to swim the length of the pool, just one end to one end, and there and back, so... I thought, well, I'm just going to swim as far as I can, and then I'm going to stop and tread some water, breathe a little bit, take another gulp, see if I can make it in two breaths, you know? And so I uh, employed the bold strategy. And, you know, all the, all the other kids were all on swim teams. They had, like, their swim trunks and Speedo things on, you know? And so, and so, uh, so I actually I won the race. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, everyone's cheering and celebrating. And as I jump out of the pool, my trunks... <laughs> come off, and uh, it was like all like in one motion, like, oh no, I remember like being under the water, like tying them on, and like, I know I'm going to have to come up at some point and like face them, but I don't just there's those points that just remind you of your weakness, you know what I'm saying, of your humanity, and so I was talking to Bill Greenman, and he, you know, I was just talking about him up in Idaho, so I was talking to him, whatever, it was last week, and he was talking about how he felt like a lot of the promises in his life were delayed. And some of you guys have ever felt that. It's like, I got these problems. Why is it taking so long? Well, God's trying to get you to become the person who can carry the weight of them. But anyway, and so he's, uh, so he's just feeling the delay on him. And all of a sudden, uh, just like a few weeks ago, just things began to shift. And he's like, God, like, what, is, what is the big turnaround? So a prophet friend calls him and says, hey, um, I think you've noticed there's been a shift in your life. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And he said, um, hold on, I got to read the statement. You're finally weak enough for God to use you. You're finally weak enough for God to use you. And so I, that phrase has been haunting me. I, well, I don't know. What's, what's a Christian haunting? I don't know. It's been following me around and whispering in my ear. You know, I'm not like, like waking up screaming, ah, you know. Like the good haunting, the good haunting. And so, um, but the Lord just keeps bringing it to mind. It almost sounds mean. But here's, uh, I mean, here, here's the truth of Christian life is when man works, God rests. When man rests, God works. You know, and so I remember the uh, WWJD bracelets. I'm about to say something offensive, and so can you guys just, uh, just give me a little grace card here? The WWJD bracelets are actually Old Covenant. It's not how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't, like, get in a situation and say, WWDD, what would Dad do? And then he would, he would get a picture of it, and then he used his own willpower and would do it. Okay, that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus did it in the strength of another source. Okay, so we're not to do things in our own willpower, we're not to get in a tough situation, you know, think about this thing, and then use our own human strength to do things. That's an old covenant model here. Are we okay? Okay, Jesus did not try to imitate God. 
And we are not to try to imitate Jesus. We're supposed to live as he lived. Jesus does show us the way to truly live. I I think sometimes we've fought so hard to defend the deity of Christ, that Jesus was God, that we forgot that he he was also human. Jesus didn't show up on the earth to show us what God can do. He did not do miracles as a man, so he'd be like, wow, that's amazing. He came to show us what man could do, rightly related to God, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Everyone in here born again, you have the same relationship with God the Father as Jesus does. You are rightly related to God. And so the question becomes, how weak are you willing to recognize that you are? How dependent are you willing to become on the Holy Spirit? The Bible's got lots of phrases for this. You know, entering into the rest of God, uh, waiting on God, uh, confident expectation, standing firm, substance of things hoped for, my strength is made perfect in weakness, um, radical obedience, Abraham fully considered his body dead. I mean, there's just lots of different phrases, but it's all the same picture of, I'm reckon, you guys have to understand, Christianity begins with, you can't live this life. You guys understand, it's not like you're born again, and now I get a big do-over. All right, this is good. You know, I, I got forgiven, and now I'm really going to try hard. That's the old covenant. That's, that's, a, that's a performance-based Christianity, and you're headed for depression. Jesus did not come to just show us what he could do. He showed us what God could do through him. He was, he was drawing on another source. Listen to John 14, 10. Jesus said, he's showing us how he lived. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Does this sound familiar to any Christians here, how we're living here? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus had the Father dwelling on the inside of him, and that was the source of his power. Uh, look at his words. He's saying, I, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I mean, they were, it said people, people marveled at his words. His words came from another source. It wasn't like, boy, this is a really smart rabbi. We should take some notes. He, he, they were dumbfounded at his wisdom because it was the wisdom of God who was dwelling in him. Jesus said things like this, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak the words the Father is speaking. Not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I am the, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. Wow. We could summarize Jesus' life this way. I live, not, yet not I, but the Father lives in me. How are we supposed to live? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Christian life is the life in the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the Christian life. You know what's the saddest thing? Is the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. I remember um, the, uh, listen, you were, this is how life was designed to work. When the Holy, when God Uh, When he gave you life, it says he breathed the breath of life in you. He breathed his spirit into you. So just like trying to uh, run an oil lamp without oil, it doesn't work, right? Trying to run an electric lamp without electricity, it doesn't work. Why? Because it was designed to work with that power source flowing through it. If you don't have the power source flowing through it, you try to find another use for it. You know, you try to use it like a paperweight or something. I don't know. And so I remember... uh, I love watching television growing up. I know some people, like, it's not cool to watch TV. They try to act like, you know, oh, you watch TV. You know, I don't have time for that. I had plenty of time for it as a kid. And, um, you know, one of the shows I love was uh, Candid Camera. Remember this show? And so Alan Fun, I don't know what it was. Just, I, just, I just love that kind of stuff. And so I remember this one episode. There was a car that didn't have an engine in it. So obviously, this, not obviously, this show was back in, like, the 60s or 70s. It was a rerun I was watching. I wasn't alive in the 60s. 
Yeah, I remember in high school in the 60s. No. And so the... Uh, so they had service stations. So when you would pull into the gas station, they would pop the hood. They would check your oil. They would fill your car up with gas, you know, uh, just like today. No, no, not quite like today. And so now, like, we don't even want to talk to you, you know, swipe. And so, so, they ha- so they, they're pulling into a service station. So they had a car that didn't have an – so, you know, Candid Camera is like a prank show. Like, they would do funny things and get people's reactions. And so they had a car that didn't have an engine. So they had another car pushing it down the street. And so they gave it enough momentum so it kind of pulled into the gas station, right? And um, – and so they pull in, and they uh, pop the trunk, and the guy goes to check the oil. He'd watched the car pull in. You know, he was the attendant. He was waiting there. And then he's, he's like, like, what? And so then um, and he tells him to pop the trunk. They pop the trunk. And, I mean, you can just see this guy, he's just got no grid for it, right? Because why? Because cars don't work without engines. Like, we know these things, right? The Christian life does not work without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only works in you to the point that you recognize your weakness and your dependence on him. I can tell you how dependent you are, how much do you pray about things, how mindful of it. I'm not trying to be mean here. Guys, I'm trying to get us to live out the new covenant here. So um, one of the pictures of salvation in the Bible is the promised land. So how many of you guys know that things that happen physically in the Old Testament, they often represent spiritual realities in the New Testament, right? There was a circumcision in the flesh, now there's a circumcision in the heart. Can we bring up that circumcision picture? Just kidding. <laughs> like, they, uh, they physically had, like, uh, enemies in the Old Testament that they, you know, killed. They killed people, you know. And uh, now it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules and, rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm, right? Now it's a spiritual thing. Here's the thing, guys. If you can hug them, they're not your enemy. I bless you with that. <laughs> Go in peace. So, so you see things physically, and so one of the things, they physically entered the promised land, okay? And so I want you to, I love the description of it. It says they went in there, and they had houses they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, and they reaped, they reaped crops that they did not plant, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a beautiful picture. So I want you to imagine today, you, um, you're, uh, I, I want you to think about what this upgrade was. They went from 40 years in the desert wearing the same clothes, like, it wasn't like, you know, they were like middle class, and now they're like upper middle class. They were walking around in the desert for 40 years in the same clothes, the same shoes, no food in the fridge, like literally manna from heaven, like every single day, like, like they're broke. You see what I'm saying? And the next day they walk in, and so imagine today, you're homeless, you're living on the streets, you've been on the same clothes for 40 years, and, um, and uh, you, you go to this new city, and someone says, listen, I've got this house, it's fully furnished. Uh, there's a whole new wardrobe in the closet for you. We, uh, we know what your size was. The fridge is full. The grass is mowed. <laughs> Perhaps some of you are like, the grass is mowed? Now it's really speaking to me. <laughs> With all this rain, I've had to review God's promises that he wouldn't destroy the earth by flood again. I'm like, okay, I remember the covenant, the rainbow covenant, okay? So it's imagine that, hey, there's two cars in the garage. Uh, there's the keys to both, and it's all yours. Okay, I want you to get that picture. They entered into something that they did not work for and did not pay for, but got to enjoy the benefits of. Okay? So that was physically in the Old Testament what they walked into. Now he says, that's a picture of the rest that you enter into under the new covenant. You get to enter into something that you did not work for and did not pay for. You are saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. Once you said so, okay. So the promised land was theirs by promise, but they could only possess the parts that they could steward. Remember this? I mean, and so they, they actually had it. And so, 
How do we steward these things? And so what happens is God brings, God allows difficult things. God's actually in charge of the difficult things in your life. And he says, I'll never let anything come that you can't handle. So the way that we begin to take territory and increase the land is God allows something difficult into our life. Listen, he says he will deliver you from sickness, disease, all those type of things. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about obnoxious personality disorder, people in your workplace. Okay, like difficult things. And so charismatics, we are so deliverance crazy. We just want God just to deliver us from everything. That's not, if you read the Bible, that's not how he does it. He allows a difficult situation to push you smack dab in the middle of it so you can feel your weakness, so that you can depend on him, and now you know by experience the things that were promised, and you take more land. I mean, God promised them the whole land, and then God would have to give them a strategy for how to do this army, a strategy for how to, how to take this territory, how to take down this walled city, how to slay these giants. It's the same thing with us. Guys, Everything in Christ is yours by promise. But to get it into your hand, it's in your bank account, but to get it into your hand where you can spend the inheritance, it has to come to you in the spirit, by experience, by trusting in him. Christianity begins by saying that human beings can't make this work. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do some things if you're good enough and you behave yourself. Apart from me, you can do. You're finally weak enough for God to use. That's amazing. What would you rather have, a Buddhist temple or a dead Christian church? Well, you wouldn't want either, but I put them in the same category. There is no life in Christ outside of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want you guys to get this. If you are saved and you, are not have, you still go to heaven but you're going to be living like a Buddhist. If the Holy Spirit is not empowering you to do things, you have no life of Christ. I feel bad for those denominations where the Holy Spirit's like the weird uncle that they're afraid of at the family reunion. So afraid he's going to come up and do something. If he doesn't show up and do something, you have no life in Christ. You have no new covenant. How many of you are the weird uncle that shows up? No, I'm just not that. It's like over the years, we've attracted lots of weird uncles, and we've just grown to love them. So anyway. How many of you know I'm not talking about you? I'm talking about somebody else, right? Okay. The ability that the Holy Spirit gives us is in direct proportion to our knowing and accepting our weakness. What do you think about that? Jim, say it again. Okay, I'll say it again. The ability that the Holy Spirit gives us is in direct proportion to our knowing and accepting our weakness. So what's he going to do? He's going to continually walk you into situations where you're completely aware of your weakness. Guys, the God of the Bible does not remove obstacles. He makes you strong in the midst of them. Because here's what happens. If he just delivers you out of everything, then um, you know, that situation may go away, but the next time it comes, you're going to be afraid of it again. Instead of, you know what? I've got authority over this thing now. Fear of man, gone. Fear of this, gone. Now you, you've tasted of his goodness. Imagine that there was a heavyweight boxing champion who was undefeated, and he just began to brag how he's the greatest, but he'd uh, never, never thrown a punch, never dodged anything. He, uh, he sent his bodyguard to do the whole thing, never broke a sweat. He just maybe put on the trunks, put on the robe, a little theme music, right? That would be completely ridiculous, right? Because he hadn't been battle-tested. That's how so many Christians want their life. 
I've got the victory. I've got this and that. God, get me out of this thing. Doing rapture practice and all sorts of stuff. Guys, if you're going to be more than a conqueror, you're going to have to have something to conquer. Hashtag duh. Three Hebrew boys are thrown into a fire. They weren't delivered out of it. They were delivered in the midst of it. And they were never afraid of death again. Guys, just think what would have happened if God would have delivered them out of that. They'd have missed a chance to walk in the middle of the fire with one who looked like the Son of God. Said so they came out not even smelling fire. I wonder if the, uh, you know, the, those robes that they wore, if uh, on the anniversary of that day where they walked in the robe, if they, they got together, maybe put on their old robes, the robes they wore that day, 20 years later, their wives are like, those are out of style, put them away. But like, no, it's like wearing your varsity jacket again, you know? And I wonder if they got back together and just remember the day they walked in the midst of a fire, changed the heart of a king. Because God didn't deliver them from the fire, he delivered them in the midst of it. Guys, what if sometimes God is not trying to make your life easier? He's trying to make you more, taste more of who he is and who he's made you to be. You guys know Jesus is not some, I, my friend Chris Gore just uh, posted something like this. I'm going to blow it, but Jesus is not something outside of you that you're trying to become. He's a mirror showing you who you already are. Now you begin to realize that and walk it out. Daniel's thrown in the lions. He wasn't delivered from the situation. He turned the lions into a pillow. In the midst of it, God gave him authority, shut the mouths of the lions. By allowing Christ's life to flow through you in a situation, now you have authority over that situation. Weak is the new strong. My power is made perfect in, wait for it, wait for it, His power is made perfect. It is made complete when we recognize our weakness. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's kind of a weird thing. It's like, when I'm standing, that's when I'm sitting. It's like, that doesn't make any sense, right? What he's saying is, when I recognize I'm weak, that's when the infusion of strength can come into me. Paul says, I've discovered the secret. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ expressing his life through me. The saddest thing is Christianity without Christ. I get saved, and now I'm doing it on my own. I'm trying on my own. I'm, I'm keeping the rules. I'm doing these things. Dead works. And people get depressed, and they backslide, and they think the whole thing's not real. It was real. You just weren't doing it the real way. You're doing it in your own strength. Weak is the new strong. Now, it's not an excuse to be passive or lazy, True repentance says, I can't. Faith says, Christ can. Let's go. It's not this, I'm weak. I'm this miserable worm. It's like, I can't do this in my own strength, but thank God I don't have to. I've been united to Christ. Let's go see what he can do. So I am not recommending this movie at all. At all. Have you ever like gone back and watched a movie like you watched like 10, 15 years ago, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. I've like watched a few of those of my kids. I'm like, sorry, kids. Daddy's mind was unrenewed as a teenager. And so um, there was this movie called My Bodyguard back in the 80s. Uh, remember Adam Baldwin, uh, <clears throat> Matt Dillon. Some of you are like, who's that? Okay, just, yeah. Anyway, 
Adam Baldwin's niece married Justin Bieber. Maybe that'll help you. All right. So um, here the story is this guy's getting bullied, and he decides to hire his bodyguard to go and uh, to, to come to school with him. And so now the bodyguard takes care of the bully, takes care of the bully, right? So I want you to recognize that's actually a pretty good way to handle temptation. Remember, God is going to consistently walk you into situations where you are not prepared to handle in your own strength. Okay, and so I just had one of these this week. I had someone write me a, uh, the opposite of a love note um, <laughs> about my teaching on finances. It was actually uh, someone who was very close to me, which actually made it hurt a little bit more, and uh, accused me of perverting the gospel, of being a prosperity preacher, and all, all sorts of dangers. And uh, it was one of these things. It wasn't like, you know, here, here's three sentences. It was like, you're the worst person ever. And so, I don't know. And so I had some feelings come up. I'm just going to be honest with you. It wasn't like, God bless you, brother. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you know you've got amazing insight. You know, you're very eloquent with your put-downs. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was like flowing out like that. It was uh, some other things. And um, I got the thing. The emotions were running. And I've been having this phrase run through my head for about a week and a half now is, uh, you're, you're finally weak enough that I can use you. And I thought, you know what? Because, I had, man, I had some zingers. Oh. Oh, I had some genius things I was going to say to him. <laughs> like, if I told you them, you'd be like, Jim, let's get some T-shirts made and make some money. <laughs> it was like that kind of stuff, like viral hashtag kind of stuff. I mean, it was just, uh, you know what, this isn't how to handle it. You know, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And so, so anyway, so what was my, how am I getting to this point? Problem? Oh, yeah, my bodyguard. When temptation comes knocking at your door, you do not go answer the door in your own strength. Hey, temptation, uh, no, I will be resisting you. Oh, ah, I did it again. No, you guys, you sent Jesus to answer the door. Man, I, I can't handle this temptation. This, this, this put down, it's hurt. I'm wanting to wallow in it. I think I went and pouted to Mary for a little bit. and um, I, did, I wasn't getting quite the sympathy. I was hoping like, maybe she'd write a song about it or something, you know. <laughs> I wasn't quite getting that level of compassion that I was hoping for, you know, and so I, I, I came back around and told her again, you know, and then I sent Jesus to answer the door. But are you guys getting the picture? It's, uh, God, I can't handle this. I need you to handle it. I'm talking about, this is the key to getting over things like addictions and resentment. You cannot do these things in your own strength. See, the, the fallacy is to think that you know, the miracles and the supernatural realm, you know, that stuff's impossible. We need Jesus. Listen, you need him every second. If you think that you can do anything in your own strength, your deception, listen, if you answer the door to temptation and you resist that temptation, you flunk the test because you just did it in the flesh. But Jim, I didn't do it. You missed the whole point. The whole point was that his strength could be made perfect in your weakness. If you fast for 40 days, you'll have more of the power of God. You can't bribe God any more than you can make the wind blow. You can put up the sail to catch the wind. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Okay? And so fasting has a way of narrowing the focus, but fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. I know so many people that are praying the price and fasting the price and showing God how hungry they are. Guys, he already paid the price. Remember, New house, new cars, mowed lawn, full fridge. I didn't pay for this. How do I step into it? I recognize 
I can't do this in my own strength. Thank you, Jesus. Two more pictures and then a closing picture. All right. Oh, my goodness. Happy Father's Day to you. So I had this dream. I know usually when a preacher's up here saying I had this dream, it's usually my wife. And so, um, but this time I had a dream. Yes. And in this dream, I had giant pecs. No, I didn't actually. That was, that was Mary's dream. But anyway. And she recognized that in her husband's weakness that he was strong. Anyway, that's not what I have written down here. So in this dream, it was actually, it was a pretty cool dream. It was almost like had that, uh, like the hordes of hell kind of feel from like Lord of the Rings. It was like one of those type of things, except it was kind of like darker with like the fiery light of the lava kind of thing. So, so, um, so me and Zion, we're all lined up for battle. And, uh, and so we're kind of in like this cavernous hell looking place. And on the opposite side were the hordes of hell. And so it was a lot of like like those big demonic-looking characters from like Lords of the Ring, just like this horrible people. And uh, they were banging their shields together and their swords together, and it was just making this horrific, intimidating noise. And, uh, and that's what they were trying to do. And they're snarling at us and just bang, bang in unison. They were getting ready to attack us. And um, I felt like the Lord spoke some instructions to me, and I turned around and I said, don't worry, everybody, let's just stand. And when I said that, they came charging at us, and we just stood there in confidence. And as the, right before they got to us, the earth swallowed up and swallowed all of them. Isn't that an interesting picture? Because that's actually right out of Ephesians 6. It says, um, when you've done everything to stand, stand firm. You know that those pictures of the armor, the helmet, the brass plate, the, you know, all those things, those are pictures of Jesus. <laughs> You're standing in him. Where's your strength? When I recognize, I can't do this, but I'm covered in him. I can stand against this thing. And if you're waiting to feel strong, you're going to be waiting a very long time. You will always feel your weakness. You're never going to be like, dun, da, da, da. Remember Popeye would do the thing. And you're never going to feel those Popeye moments. If you do, it's just emotions. Enjoy them while they last. They'll go away in about five minutes. Okay, so do you remember that story in the Old Testament? Elisha, he's this prophet, and he gets some, gets some instructions to this widow. There's a famine in the land. He's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and get as many empty containers as you can. And you take, she only had like one little thing of oil left. And he said, I want you to go. And um, it was funny because she, she did what he said, but then it said she went into the room and shut the door. How many of you have been a little bit embarrassed sometimes when God tells you to do something weird? <laughs> okay, just me. All right. So uh, I, just, I just love that part because it's so real, you know. It's like, it's goofy. You know, I got this little jar of oil. He says, go get all these empty jars and take this one little jar and go fill up all those empty jars. Mm, bad plan. God, this is, this is a terrible strategy, God. This, is, uh, this doesn't make any sense. That's a word for somebody right now. And so, uh, so she's like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm a little bit embarrassed. But it still works, so thank you, Jesus. And so she gets her little jar of oil, and she begins to pour it into these empty vessels that she'd went in, you know, empty jars that she'd borrowed from all of her neighbors, and fills up to the top. Goes to the next one. Fill, fill, fill. So she fills up all the jars, and um, as she comes to the last empty jar, jump, 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 then her jar emptied out. As long as there was something empty, the oil could fill it. When there stopped being something empty, the oil stopped flowing. 
I don't got anything better than that one. <laughs> Guys, as long as we, listen, that lady didn't have this giant vat of oil that she felt so powerful. Ah, it makes sense. Let me, no, no, no. It was this weak little thing. It just had one little jar. Guys, that's how you're going to feel. It's like, I just have this little bit of oil. It doesn't feel like enough. Wow, God, it's working. It's overcoming the situation. One last picture, and then my closing illustration. Lots of pictures today. Welcome. And so um, I think I've told this story before, but I was interviewing, Mary and I were interviewing for a church that wasn't Zion before we, it was at the same week we were interviewing at Zion. So we interviewed at like three churches, and in this one interview, it was just this really bizarre scene. Like it was going good, and it actually ended up offering us the job, and, uh, which we didn't take, obviously. You're welcome. And so... Um, <laughs> Lots of your welcomes today, and so I just feel like I'm, I'm just passing out gifts here. And so, the, uh, and so we're in the middle of the interview. Everything is going good, and they, uh, we went over to the elders' houses and the uh, house, and I don't know, there's like 15, 20 people in the room. They're like kind of giving us some Q&A time, and this one elder like turns on me. He had like been all for me, and he like turns on me and starts accusing me of being a liar, acting like he caught me in some lie, and it was really uncomfortable. And the Lord was right, right during that time breaking off the fear of man off of me. And so, um, I, so he walked me into a situation for which I was too weak to do in my own strength. The old Jim would have you know, probably got clustered or maybe got a little like, snippy with him with some sarcastic one-liners or something. And so, um, so, you know, so he, he's, he's railing on me in front of everybody. And everyone's looking to see how I'm going to respond. And I remember this is just such a vivid picture. I, uh, I kind of closed my eyes and I turned to the side. And just in my mind, I said, God, I've got nothing for this. I need your grace. And I took a deep breath, and when I spoke out, the Lord gave me wisdom. Like, I didn't have anything pre-planned, like, oh, yeah, I remember in seminary when they told us, when you're being humiliated in front of your job interview, dude, you know, there was was no training for this. But I I literally, I mean, I just said, God, I got nothing for this. And I just, I just, I spoke the wisdom of God, and it calmed the room, and it it shifted everything. And it, uh, it was just such a graphic picture. I recognized my weakness. I didn't feel like I had anything more than just this little jar of oil. I don't know how I was going to fill up all those jars. And he came through to me. So I, I close with this picture of all the pictures. Okay. This is, I looked, I haven't shared this illustration in like two and a half years. And so for those of you new people, you're welcome. And so um, this is probably my favorite illustration that I do here. I'm, I, I, know I, I, like, I like some of the crazy stories and all those things. But this one to me, it just has the most meaning. It's a picture from a book that uh, Malcolm Smith wrote, and it's The Tennis Coach. So here it is. Just let this picture haunt you. Let's suppose I can, uh, hold on, where did it go? Oh, there we go. Let's say that I want to learn the game of tennis. I go to Barnes & Noble and buy all the books that can explain the game, the rules, showing me how the game is played. For days, I pore over the books, memorizing the rules and strategies. I stand awkwardly in my living room and hold my arms in the positions shown in the pictures. I am now convinced that I'm ready to play. So I buy my matching tennis outfit and sweatbands, a tennis racket, some tennis balls, and I head for the tennis courts. I quickly discover that in spite of all the hours I have spent studying the game, when it comes to playing tennis, I stink. My muscles refuse to cooperate and the balls are flying everywhere except the place I want them to go. Having made a total fool of myself, I slink off the court and return to my books. But every time I try to play again, it seems to get worse. 
In fact, the harder I try, the more tense I am and the worse my game gets. So I study the games of past tennis players. I even go to Bethel, I mean Wimbledon, to watch the world champions play. When I come home, it's obvious that I still do not know how to play tennis. So I hire a coach who is a world champion. I listen to him and marvel at his ability. But when I try to do what he says and imitate his moves, something inside of me refuses to cooperate. I've been trying to learn to play by the rules and regulations, taking instructions from books and people. I've gave it my best effort and rededicated my efforts and commitment to put it all into practice. Now use your imagination here. Let's suppose I could invite the tennis coach to actually step inside of me, into my mind, nerves, and muscles. He would be within me so he could think his thoughts in my head and let his muscles be my muscles. His memory of all his winning plays would be part of my memory and yet never take away my personality and freedom of choice. I would be me and he would be himself, yet we would operate as one person. My part would be to give up trying to play tennis and admit my helplessness. I would have to understand that if I insisted on trying to play, then the champion within me would let me return to my bumbling and making a fool of myself. The two of us could not play at the same time. Standing on the court, freely admitting that I can't play, I choose to hand over to him. I present my body to him as an instrument for tennis playing. He plays, but I'm choosing to let him, and I begin to win all of the games. My coach did not teach me to play the game. If questioned, I would have to say, the coach is my game. I now, found my, I now find myself doing everything that the books had told me to do, that the rules had demanded and my coach had ever taught me. But I'm not doing it in my own ability, but resting in my coach, who is the books and the rules wrapped up in a person. So Christ, by his spirit, lives within us. We present our bodies to him. We rest in him when we choose to let him play the game of life in us and as us. It is one leap of faith that declares that he is our life and later millions of choices of faith as every challenge is presented. You face an impossible situation, that's a tr that is a trigger to present yourself to God, to recognize your weakness, that situation at home that you can't stand coming home to, that sinful habit you can't seem to break, a sickness when there is no hope, a difficult person, a lack of provision. From your heart you say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. Let's go. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's interesting. The uh, Bible says the only hope of this world seeing glory is Christ in you. It's Christ expressing his life through us that they'll get to see the glory of God, which is what he's like. Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Weak is the new strong. God's looking for people weak enough that he can finally use. Sound good? All right. Jesus, we love you. You're awesome. I bless the fathers in here. I bless the physical fathers, the spiritual fathers, to shape the atmosphere of, uh, of their spheres of influence, of their home. And Lord, I just thank you for the promise that you would turn the hearts of the Father to the Son, the Son to the Fathers. And Lord, so for those who are going through a difficult time, Lord, I just thank you for breakthrough right now, for wisdom. God, you've got divine strategies for words to say to sons and daughters who are wayward. And even prayers, and sometimes when we withhold those words and we just pray behind their backs. So Lord, I bless the fathers and mothers in here to run, to be champions, 
but to do it in your strength, not ours. And so, God, we just come to you. You know, I just feel like just between you and God, you need to just recognize your weakness and maybe even repent of some pride where it's like, man, I don't know about you guys. I've, I've, I've had to recognize this last week and a half. I've done a lot of things in my own strength. I'm like, God, I'm sorry. So just between you and God, just take a few moments and just talk to him about it. God, we repent and we just renew our minds that we don't have to do it alone. We push off any shame, any guilt. God, we just look in your face and we thanks. <laughs> Lord, thanks you for the keys of the house. Thank you for the grass that's mowed, the fridge that's full, the cars in the garage. Lord, we thank you that we walk into a realm where we've been saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. That we'd enter into a realm called righteousness where you're no longer dealing with us based on our behavior. You're dealing with us based on Jesus' behavior. And we say, thank you, Jesus. You are amazing. And I thank you that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we just help us, give us a grace this week to recognize our weakness. And uh, I just bless everybody who's going to be walked into impossible situations this week. That you're going to have a chance to stand in the fire with one who looks like the Son of God and change the heart of a king. I bless you guys. <laughs>